My son David has been excited because the cold weather means the grass mowing is over. And uh, I know that uh, many of us uh, get excited. You know, if you're in school, you get excited because graduation day is coming. Uh, And uh, the studies and the all-nighters as far as preparing for tests will be over. And, uh, and you'll be able to enjoy Some people get excited about retirement. They think, you know, the toil, the struggle, the, the hardship of work will be over. And I'll be able to relax and enjoy uh, the time that I have. And, uh, and there, there are many things like that in life. But there's nothing greater than the hope that we have in Jesus and uh, the promises that we have from him. And these things form the basis of our hope. And, and uh, the scripture here in Romans 8 is, is talking about this hope. And, uh, and he's doing so in the context of our struggle. And if you ever had a struggle in life, and, and uh, he uses the word groaning. If you've ever had a time of groaning in your life where life is just a struggle, it's just a difficulty. Uh, a, a groaning in the struggle with sin, which is the context of the scripture. Um, This brings hope. These promises bring hope in the struggle that we have in this life. And so, um, I want to talk to you about the comfort that we receive uh, through our hope. And we need to fix our eyes on the hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, Paul said there's faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But have you thought about those faith, hope, and love, the things that endure, uh, the hope that we have in Jesus will never fade away. It's the same hope the saints had in the days when Christ was here. It's the same hope that if Jesus tarries, uh, grandkids, great-grandkids, and great-great-grandkids who, who come to faith in Jesus Christ will have after we're gone. It is a solid foundation for life. So the title of my message is Comforted by Hope. Look at uh, Romans 8, 20, uh, excuse me, 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves, who have the spirit as of first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. So, comforted by hope. How does God comfort us with his hope? Well, first of all, he reveals a comparison. There's a comparison that we need to notice. Um, He says the sufferings of this present time in verse 8 are not worth comparing with the glory 
that is going to be revealed in us. And so, however great your suffering is, and, and apparently the suffering that they were experiencing, the struggle that they were experiencing, was, was enough to provide groaning in their souls. Uh, but he says, this suffering that you're experiencing, as bad as it is, I want you to know that it's not worth comparing with the glory that is going to come. Um, on the Mount of, of Transfiguration, Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. Uh, but in that revelation that Jesus had, of uh, letting his glory shine through, the cloud uh, descended because they really could not handle looking at Jesus' unfiltered glory because they were human beings. And so the, their response is fear. Uh, trembling, hey, Lord, we'll, we'll, we'll make three tenths, you know. But the gospel writer tells us that Peter was saying that because he's scared and he didn't know what to say, so he just blurted something out. And, uh, but, but the glory of God will be so great, and the glory of what we have to expect will be so great that we couldn't even handle it in these mortal bodies. Um, one day, we will see Jesus face to face. One day, we will see what Ezekiel could only see in a vision, the rainbow around the throne of God, the, the unfiltered glory of Almighty God and all His splendor. Uh, we will see the cherubim and seraphim around the throne of God. And we will see thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 singing and praising God and saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. We'll see walls of jasper, streets of gold, and gates of pearl. Because we will be in the place where the sun never sets because Jesus will be its light and the Father will be its light. Uh, all of these things are coming. The glory that is going to come, I, I believe one of the reasons why God uses so many symbols in the book of Revelation and throughout Scripture is because we can't really comprehend the greatness of it. We don't have categories truly to, to be able to comprehend it in the way that we would need to. Uh, uh, Arnie and I were talking about lima beans this past week. I wish he was here. Uh, he would amen me on this, but... Uh, but we were, both, we were both in agreement that lima beans taste awful. And, uh, and we, were com we were comparing lima beans to other things. And, and I told him, I said, you know, I hate peas, but lima beans, uh, you know, that is as horrible as it gets, you know. And so uh, if you compare lima beans to pizza, there is no comparison. Papa John's pizza, buddy. I'm telling you. And, and you, you eat that pizza. Oh, man, it's good. It is so far to the other end of the spectrum, not even to be compared. Uh, you take a Ford Focus and you put your foot on the gas. It says, I think I can. But you take a Ferrari and you put your foot on the gas. You better hold on to the steering wheel because it's going somewhere. There's it's no comparison between the two. Uh, they are not even to be compared. This is what he's saying. He's saying your suffering is not even to be compared in its measure to the greatness, to the awesomeness, to the splendor of the glory that is yet to come. Uh, you, you, this, you have elsewhere, Paul says, this light and momentary suffering. And 
his light and momentary suffering was being shipwrecked and jailed and beaten and stoned and left for dead. And that was his light and momentary suffering. He says, this is not worthy to be compared with the eternal weight of glory. Won't it be great someday when the sufferings of this life are a distant, faint memory and the glory of God so overwhelms it all? Uh, it's not even to be compared. And so he gives us a comparison because we like comparisons and it makes sense to us. And he says, I want you to understand, even though you wouldn't be able to understand the fullness of the glory if I explained it to you, I want to use a comparison to show you how great it's going to be. And so I want you to take comfort. As bad as your suffering may be, it's not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to us or in us. Have you ever thought about this? The pain that you feel in your heart when you go through suffering, the grief or maybe anxiety or maybe depression or whatever it is that you're experiencing in your emotions, there's something going on. There's things going on outside as well, but there's something going on within you. But isn't it wonderful when you are touched by the Spirit of God, you're coming to God in prayer and And God comes and he meets with you and he comforts you. And um, he changes your perspective. And he lifts you up. And maybe through a scripture, maybe through a song, maybe through the words of encouragement of a friend, um, maybe through a joint uh, shared prayer time. But God just lifts you up. And uh, in you, things change. What he is saying is, This is the foretaste, but the the suffering that you feel in your heart isn't worthy to be compared with what's going to be going on inside you. Have you ever experienced joy in your worship as you you worship God? Have you ever experienced a closeness to God, the peace that passes understanding? Uh, All of these things are just in measure, but the fullness of the glory is yet to come. And so it won't only be glory on the outside, it'll be glory on the inside. So, whatever pain you may, you may experience in this life within, know that the glory that's coming is so much greater. Um, so, the comparison is important. So, uh, how does God comfort us with hope? Well, first of all, through a comparison. Secondly, through an expectation. Look at verse 19. The creation eagerly awaits with anticipation or expectation, or as John Philip says, it stands on its tiptoes. In expectancy, um, for God's sons to be revealed. What's he talking about here? Well, Colossians tells us that uh, we're to uh, seek the heavenly things because uh, you have died and your life is hidden in Christ with God. In other words, People that, as you walk down the street, now they may be able to see the joy of the Lord on your face, but they really can't see what's going on inside your heart. It's hidden. It's veiled. Uh, But one day, the fact that you're a child of God is going to be manifest to everyone. Uh, The sons of God will be revealed. And uh, those who who criticize or make fun of or uh, downplay... Christianity will see the sons of God revealed. Now, 
they're, they're going to be the, at the battle of Armageddon. There'll be a judgment, and those people will be uh, destroyed with the brightness of Jesus coming. And so they won't be there for the millennial period. But what's going to happen when we come back on the clouds of glory with Jesus uh, uh, to um, fight at the battle of Armageddon? Jesus does it for us, but we come back for that great battle. And we set our feet on this planet and those who place their faith in Christ who are still alive during the time of the tribulation will enter into that time of millennium. The sons of God will be revealed. And we will live in the blessings of Jesus being the ruler here on this earth. And the scripture says that the lion will lay down with the lamb. You remember what happened in Genesis? Adam and Eve lived in a perfect situation. No sin had ever entered. Um, the creation was perfect. There was no death, there was no disease, there was no, uh, there were no earthquakes or hurricanes or mudslides or sinkholes in no, you know, no California. No, I'm saying, just kidding. But uh, they, they, none of that stuff was taking place in the book of Genesis. Why? Because this earth was not cursed. But when Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says that God cursed the ground, or he cursed the land, or he cursed the earth. So that all of creation was under the curse. This creation, as beautiful as it has been this fall in East Tennessee, this creation is not fulfilling what God intended for it. It is not as great as it could be. It is marred by the curse of sin. And so, when Jesus comes back, not only will we be revealed, but the creation, he says, they're, they're looking for, look, is looking forward in anticipation. It's kind of a way of saying uh, creation will realize its purpose. Look at verse 21. The creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption. You see, there is a, a vanity. You remember Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity under the sun? That's why we live our lives for what matters, for what's over the sun, our Lord God. This life is filled with van, vanity and vain purposes and, and uh, toil and heartache. But when Jesus comes back, it won't be that way. When Jesus comes back, it won't be vanity. There won't be slavery to corruption, either in the earth or in us. We'll be set free from that. Of course, we will have been raptured beforehand and set free from that. But, but he's saying when the sons of God are revealed, the creation is going to be renovated. Uh, there was a show that Sherry used to love to watch, and she kind of got me watching it, called Trading Spaces. This has been back a, few, back a while ago. Um, but it was about renovating a room in uh, your neighbor's house, and they would renovate a room in your house, and then you'd, they'd do a reveal, and, and uh, everything was different, and people usually be excited. Oh, you know, my room looks so great. And, and, um, and so um, that's what God is going to do. When, when Jesus comes back, he's going to renovate all of creation. But all of, also... He's going to give, at the rapture, he'll give us glorified bodies. 
how would you like a renovated model of your body? Uh, an eternal body, a spiritual body that can be in the presence of God, that can enjoy all the splendor and the glory of heaven, that can uh, live without sickness, disease, pain, uh, any kind of struggle. Won't it be great? No achy joints. No allergies. No, you know, all of these things will be in the past. No heart disease. And so... Uh, this is what God's going to do. And so he's, there's, there needs to be an expectation. He's, the idea is that if, if creation is an expectation, we ought to be an expectation of what God's going to do. It's going to be an amazing time. You'll be able to let your kids go out. Well, who, you, whatever kids are born during that time will be able to go out. Not, probably not your kids, but uh, uh, they'll be able to go out and play with snakes. With vipers, you know, uh, the the back black python, or the uh, boa constrictor, or the black mamba that can bite you. Yeah, it won't be that way anymore. You won't have to worry about them. They, you you can get, let them go out and play with the lions, you know. Hey, Junior, you're getting on my nerves. Go out and play with the lions, you know. It's uh, no, it seriously, you'll be able to let them go out and play with the lions. Why? Because it won't be the way it is now. A lion can lay down with a lamb. And there's no, it's going to be an amazing time. And so um, there'll be a, a complete renovation of everything. And Jesus will be on the throne. There won't be an election cycle. For a thousand years, Jesus will reign as king. On this earth, and the devil will be bound. That in and of itself would be great, right? Just bind him and don't let him have any role or uh, function whatsoever. And so, a great expectation. Of course, then uh, after the thousand years is over, the devil's released for a short time, gathers armies against Jerusalem, fire from heaven falls, and then the eternal state comes in. There's a new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. And so, there's that expectation as well. And from that point on, there is no sin. You won't ever have to worry about somebody lying to you. We've been, we've been shopping for a car this past week for Megan. We were told all kinds of things that weren't true. And uh, you, you won't have to worry about that when you get to that new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. So uh, what a great expectation we have. Uh, so he says, I want you to be comforted by hope. First of all, by the comparison. Secondly, by an expectation. Thirdly, by an emancipation. You've heard of the Emancipation Proclamation. Dig back in the dark recesses of your memories to history. uh, When they set the slaves free in America. Well, we have an emancipation that is coming. If you look at verse 21, it says, Creation will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. You remember what Paul said in Romans 7? He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I want to do, I, uh, I don't. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. Anyway, Paul is having a struggle in his life. He is dealing with his old nature. And it's a thorn in his side. It's an, uh, 
a weight around his neck. And he, he constantly, somebody this past week was telling me, you know, I am just so sick of having to deal with the devil. You ever get that way? The glorious freedom of the children of God. I want you to know, there'll be a day that's coming where we won't have to struggle with our sin nature anymore. It'll be forever removed. The glorious freedom. The glorious rescue from corruption. Now, the, the creation will be rescued from corruption as well. But, um, but we will be rescued from corruption. Um, Corinthians 15 says, uh, This body is sown in weakness, but raised in power. Sown corruptible, raised incorruptible. Um, it's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen. And so we'll, we'll have no further struggle with the sin nature, no further struggle with the enemy. He'll be bound for the thousand years. He just released for a short time Jesus. Uh, Jesus won't even have to do anything. Fire from heaven will come and take care of it. And then eternal state. And so no struggle with the sin nature, no struggle with the devil. Won't that be amazing? And think about this. What is it that stands in between the fullness of our fellowship with God? It's our sin, right? We grieve the Spirit. We quench the Spirit of God through our sin, uh, through going our own way. When that old sin nature is taken away and the influence of the enemy is taken away in our life, we'll have that no more sin nature and we will obey God perfectly from the heart. Now, you've been made a new creation. We talked about that this morning, right? And so you have a new set of desires. If you put your trust in Jesus, you've been made a new creation. You have a new set of desires. You have a new way that you want to live. And God continues his work of growing you spiritually while you're here. But can I tell you, that's not the fullness of the promise. The fullness of the promise was that God would write his law upon our hearts and that we would obey him fully. That's what's coming. The power that will be on our lives will be unlike any we've ever had in this life. The worship that we'll have in that time will be unlike anything we've ever experienced in this life. The very best worship you've experienced will pale in comparison. Uh, the prayer that you've had in this life will pale in comparison. There will be a richness of relationship with God that you will have that is unlike anything you've ever experienced here. Every barrier, every hindrance to it will be taken away. That's why Paul says right now you see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Why? Because right now our sin keeps us at arm's length. Now, yes, we can confess that sin, have the fellowship restored and all of that, but in this life we have the taste in that life, we have the fullness. So, there will be an emancipation. We'll be forever set free from sin. Expect it. Anticipate it. Look forward to it. And then whenever you have a great time of worship or a great time in prayer or God speaks to you in a special way through His Word or you have a special time of fellowship with God's people, mark it down that the best that you have here is just an inkling, just a taste of what's yet to come. 
the uh, Israelites would, would had an offering called the offering of first fruits, and they would take a few of the, the first parts of the harvest and they would offer it as an offering to God. The first fruits here is what we experience right now. Maybe it's a few ears, but you've got a whole field full of acreage of, of corn that has yet to be harvested. That's the idea. You haven't seen anything yet. Isn't that a great thought? So, um, a comparison. God wants us to be comforted by hope. And how does he help us with that? He shows us a comparison, an expectation, an emancipation, and finally an adoption. Verse 23. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves... Eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, we are adopted and we are redeemed. But God's process of salvation, as we talked about this morning, doesn't stop when you're saved, right? God continues to do His work in your life as you grow spiritually. So there is a past sense in which you, I've been adopted, I've been redeemed. There's a present sense in which I am being uh, assured of my sonship, and God's Spirit says, Abba, Father, in my heart toward God, and I am being redeemed, and the blood of Jesus Christ is applied afresh and anew each day. Uh, but there's a sense in which I will be redeemed. Why? Because I've not experienced the full payment of what Jesus has done yet. You see, the forgiveness for my sins is just a part of it. Jesus purchased on the cross all the riches of glory for me. And for you. And so when I, when I am redeemed in the future, I'll receive all the full blessings of what Jesus accomplished in his spotless life, his death, and his resurrection. Uh, it will be mine. So um, then I will also have the fullness of that adoption. I'll be revealed to be adopted. Um, have you ever heard of somebody being somebody else's child and not knowing it? And, uh, and somehow, you know, there's movies. I've seen several movies like that. And, uh, you know, somebody is royalty. Um, there's, a, there's a movie about the Princess Diaries or something that Megan used to love years ago. And, uh, and she finds out she's the princess of Genovia. Okay. Well, she has been adopted, right? Or, I mean, where she is a child. She didn't necessarily adopt it, but she is a, a blood child. But she doesn't realize it. She's not experiencing the full benefits of that until somebody comes to her and says, Hey, you're, you're the princess of uh, Genovia, and we want you to come and uh, be royalty for our country. And all of a sudden, her life completely changes. And she goes from uh, living uh, in relatively uh, meager meager means to having all this rich, all these riches and opulence and everything else. And uh, why? Because she is receiving the full benefits of being the daughter of a king. You and I are the children of the king by adoption. We've been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. The papers have been signed. We are adopted, but we have not yet received the full benefits of that adoption. But one day when Jesus returns, we will receive the full position 
and the full recognition of our adoption. I, I think that's going to be surreal. I, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to step into heaven and to have God say, Oh, here's my son, Roger. Come on over here, Roger. <laughs> that just sounds weird to me. I, you know, it, it sounds like otherworldly. I, I don't even know if I could completely uh, wrap my mind around it. But that's what, what he's talking about. We're eagerly awaiting the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. What will it be like when our adoption is revealed? We're going to be given the privileges of heaven. We are joint heirs with Christ. The riches, those streets of gold are our streets. The walls of Jasper are our walls. But you know, that's the least of my concern. I'm more concerned about the privilege of relationship. Because the Bible says that uh, God and the Lamb will be its temple. The, the New Jerusalem will have no building, no edifice of a temple because God will be there. The Lamb, Jesus Christ, will be there. They will be its temple. And because I'm adopted... I'll be able to go into his very presence anytime I want. My kids never asked permission to get up on my lap when they were little. Unless I had the chair up, you know, like that. You know, it's, then they say, okay, Dad, can I come up in your lap? I have to put the chair down so they could crawl up, you know. But most of the time, if I just was sitting in a chair, they just hop up, right? They didn't ask permission. Why? They're my kids. They know they're accepted. They know they have access. And so... I have access now to God in prayer. I can come before the throne boldly. But the access that I will have then, my adoption will be revealed. Right now, you can't see me communicating with God. You can see me praying, but you can't see what's really happening spiritually. But you'll be able to see my interaction with God. You probably won't care. You'll be having your own interaction with God. But, but you will have that access as you've never had before. I love the, the description in the book of Revelation where he's describing the martyrs. And, and they have been uh, persecuted by the Antichrist and, and put to death and, and martyrs from probably from all throughout history. And God says, bring them, let them sit before the throne. The sun will not beat on them anymore. No tears will any longer come out of their eyes, but I will comfort them with my presence. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The presence of God. That's our heritage. We, we are adopted. Um, and our adoption will be revealed. So, comforted by hope. When you are groaning with the trouble of life, remember the comparison. Their suffering's not worthy to be compared with the glory. Remember the expectation. The sons of God will be revealed. This creation will be restored. Remember the emancipation. No longer will you have a struggle with sin or the devil, and remember your adoption. The full benefits of being a children of God will be realized. That is our hope. We look forward to it in anticipation. Even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the comfort that you bring us through the hope described in your word. And thank you that that hope is not an uncertain thing, but God, it is 
a sure, confident expectation that you're going to do what you have promised to do. And uh, Father, I just thank you for adopting me, for giving me the expectation of this glorious, restored creation in the new heaven and the new earth and fellowship with you and all that comes with it, God. And Lord, I just pray that we would thank you for our hope and that we would look forward to it in faith. And Father, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know Jesus, I pray that they would surrender their hearts to Christ and put their trust in him so that they can be saved and then also enjoy having that hope. But Father, for those of us who are saved, Lord, when when life gets hard and when we groan with the difficulty of life, help us, Lord, to remember to lift up our eyes, to fix them on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and to know, Lord, that our...